Welcome to episode number 88 of Off the Shelf. This episode brings to a conclusion our interview with Deb Dalton Thibodeau, the author of The Serpent's Tale, an epic poem chronicling her abuse as a child by followers of William Branham. The book is available from Adelaide Books and on Amazon. A link to where you can purchase a copy of the book is on our website. Now, to part five of our interview with Deb Thibodeau. Talking about your dad, in your book, you reference your dad's dying words, which were, Brother Branham lied to me. I have been betrayed. What was your dad speaking those words in reference to? Because you don't really say that in your book. How had William Branham, Brother Branham, betrayed him? So I intend to keep writing. And um, one of the things I would really like to write about is the death of my mother and the death yeah. of my father. Yeah. My mother's death was a beautiful experience. Um a precious, precious thing that she did for her children in a way a father maybe never could. I don't know. But her children were all around her. There was a hundred people or more in her little trailer when she died. She had a word for everyone. And she said, this is a beautiful place, children. The colors are beautiful. There's enough room for all of us. We can all be there. And dad would say to her, do you see Brother Branham? Do you see Brother Branham? And she would just say, she would just go back to saying, this is a beautiful thing, children. Don't miss this. It's wonderful. And she died very gently and revered with all of her children around her. When my dad died, he died over a period of about four days, very slowly and just just agonizing. He did not want to die. He did not believe he was supposed to die. He he had told us his entire life about the thus saith the Lord promise that, that William Branham gave him that he would be taken up in the rapture. He would be he would go up alive in the rapture. And so So William Branham had told him, thus saith the Lord, you will go in the rapture. This is what we heard our whole life. So this is what your dad told you. Yes. William Branham had told him. That he had a promise to go up in the rapture. He would go up alive in the rapture. And so he, you know, and here he was on his deathbed, unable to function in a human capacity any longer, but he, he agonized over the fact that he was not going to go up alive in the rapture. And for a long time after mom died, he got it in his head that she would not be chosen or bride of Christ because she went by way of the grave. So we all got through that with him. And then when he died in those last few days saying he lied to me, he lied to me. Brother Branham lied to me. I've been betrayed. You know, what an awful thing on your death. So well, you was, put your hope in something all your life and you realize that it was for naught. It didn't happen. Yeah. So 
one of the things that made it all okay to me in the end was, you know, and some of the conflict between my father and my brothers was fairly obvious. His daughters were with him when he died. When my mother died, we were all there, all the children, all the grandchildren. When my dad died, his daughters were there. And he said, in all of those words that he asked mom and everything that he wanted her to tell him that she was seeing and experiencing, his last words were, mama, is that you? So to me, that gave me some comfort. Yeah. Because it yeah. felt like at least he had that in his last yeah. few moments. So their deaths, mama gave us a beautiful experience and removed the fear of death for a lot of yeah. her children and grandchildren. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. dad gave us a completely different one. Yeah, yeah. But these are things that impact you. They're Absolutely. Important they, they do. Yeah. And they need to be shared. Yeah. The same way My, somebody wants to share a tale about shooting a bear. Yeah. Or speaking squirrels into existence. You should speak about your parents. Well, my dad, actually, two weeks before he died, had a visit from an angel who said, get ready to go home. And he was excited. My dad, my dad was honestly probably the best Christian I've ever met. And he, he was excited about going. And he said, Rod, two weeks from now, I will be gone. And I'm going like, dad, like, I, I don't get this. Cause you know, we knew he was sick. He had cancer. He walked outside, you know, he would never, we, our car would never leave without him staying there until he couldn't see our car anymore. Right. He just he loved he loved his kids. And um, I didn't know someone could go downhill as fast as he went. And so I've never grieved for my dad because it's like, Rod, I'm leaving on a trip. I'm going in two weeks and I'll see you one day. And then we saw him go away. And when he died, yeah, everybody's around. And and uh, my mom uh, went uh, she had a heart attack and we were at the hospital and, and my mom's last words to me were, Rod, I'll see you after the operation. And if I don't see you and she smiled, she said, I get to see dad. <laughs> that, those were her last words. And that's as it should be. Yeah. You know, death should not be a scary event for us unless we've been conditioned to make it that way. And I, my mother, of course, I miss her. I miss her. And I have tried so hard to describe what happened to her in there as well and how she did what she could for me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, ultimately how they broke my dad. They yeah. broke my dad in there too. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's very sad. It is sad, you know, because we could have had a different life, you know, and, and, I suppose that anyone could postulate that that these things were meant to be so they happened but you know people are led down a path and yeah. and men are easily led by external influences and that's what happened to us well some men are easily led by some external men. some men so how how did the park finally unravel just cuz it's sort of described in the book, but it's, it, you know, it's, it's like, and, and I think for our listeners, uh, it, it would be interesting to hear from you. 
what what caused the the park to basically come apart so the things that i can speak to that i actually as a non-entity overheard or saw or experienced um, was his deterioration um, i overheard a conversation at some point between a couple of the men who were talking about how he had been they had been at el chaparral in prescott which was a restaurant on uh grove street i believe and he had ordered one of those brothers to go order him another whiskey sour in the name of the lord jesus christ <laughs> can you believe that and how this gentleman said well of course i didn't i got him another drink but i didn't say that you know but the adults were beginning to have misgivings and, um, and he sounds like he was starting to become more and more unhinged and he was starting to unravel and i i know that he was getting a lot of injections of demerol and and morphine things like that um so he was an opiate an opiate addict Addict. and I believe, you know, an alcoholic as well. Um, and these things, I believe, made themselves clear in the years after the park. But his sexual proclivities began to creep into the adult population of the park. And I feel like I can, again, only speak to things that I heard spoken yeah. about. And at the time thinking, oh my God, can this be real? Um, and what I first heard about was something that kind of everybody in the heart park heard about. We'd all heard about this special uh, covenant that Leo Mercier made with the men that they would abstain from sexual activity from their, with their wives for several months. And then this gave him an opening to exploit that uh, sexual tension in the way he wanted to, which was to bring them to a, 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 a spiritual prayer meeting or something where, and then the Eliezer Covenant, covenant followed that. In, and we all know that the Eliezer Covenant speaks to placing your hand on the thigh of the master and swearing before the Lord thy God that you will honor and obey basically so i believe his intent was to bind them in a way that would eclipse anything that might be questioned about the children that's what i believe oh, okay yeah. um and i know that reactions to it were big um i believe some succumbed and I believe some said, no, this is not going to happen. And that was the beginning of the end of the park. And I feel like that happened because everything that he had been allowed to perpetrate upon the children now kind of enveloped over onto the adults and it could not be tolerated. Some people say, okay, that's enough. I, I, there's no way. So somebody said this is wrong 
this is wrong. Why are we letting this happen? (laughs) And from there, um, and it, you know, and it was, it was a big split initially and the kids were just baffled because there was one group against and one group for, and I will never forget in all my life hearing one of the abusers of my childhood very strongly denouncing him as a drinking drug and bastard and we're not gonna be listening to him anymore and that was the argument we should stay he's our leader we should leave we should choose another leader but ultimately before it was over and people had enough time to and the kids just went wild we didn't go to school um, we robbed the dining hall and the toddle house of snacks. We hung out in the forts. We kind of, we did whatever we wanted. We roller skated, we rode bikes. It was like all the rules were gone overnight. And the adults then were meeting in different homes and kind of hashing this out. And for the, for the first several weeks, there was a huge division between the adults. And then eventually, even that went away. And in the end, no one stayed with him. In the end, everyone left. And that was the strange thing, 14 years, almost 14 years old and living in a place that I had lived my entire life. I had no memory of a place before this. Before the park, yeah. And suddenly, I mean, they're just, and, and these, these gardens and, and uh, sidewalks and things that all the children had helped maintain for all those years are being knocked over, ripped up, trailers are being pulled out. Uh, A whole bunch of the big families went back to Indiana and Coleman. Um, A bunch went to Tucson under Perry Green. And then of course, a bunch of us went to Flagstaff under Floyd Patterson. And that, I felt in those moments watching that happen that I would never forget any of them. I would register every name, every man, every woman, every child who ever lived in there. And I do not believe I've forgotten any of them. So, so, and this is why this subject is dear to me. I remember the name of every child I grew up with. And, you know, loosely, loosely, we sort of hear how each, how we've all done you know, some I'm still fairly close to, some I don't have any contact with at all, but I am sorry in so many ways that it has taken me so long to speak, but I needed to be where I am now to do it. And I, I kind of wanted to speak to why I've written the book the way I have, because I and as you know, I've written it sort of in a an epic poem. Type. Yeah, it's it really was not why I expected it. It's it's not quite poetry, but it's definitely poetic, and and you paint with words to describe certainly the physical and emotional trauma that you went through as a child, and and I found it quite effective uh, as a method of storytelling. Uh, it's very emotional, but it is different. Yes. And it may not be what people expect, but I would like to sort of prepare them for that, to be ready for it, because that was my intention, was not a tell-all, was not a let's bash everybody, was not 
dirty mommy, dirty daddy, dirty Leo. It was about the emotional experiences of a child, how and why I felt the way I felt in that moment. And I, I absolutely loved epic poetry from an early age. Um, you know, I think my first experience with it was The Midnight Ride of Paul Revere. And I could, I could say that poem start to finish when I was a kid. And of course, Invictus, I felt was like a lifesaver for me. The first time I read something that said, you know, I am the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. And no matter what I've experienced, my head is unbowed. So, and then in, in, when I met my second husband and I got married, he has children and his daughters very much loved books written by Ellen Hopkins. And they are all written in verse. Um, they're sort of geared toward teens, young adults. But that was probably the first time I started to recognize I could tell this story. I could reach emotional depths. I could translate that emotion into words because I love words. And I could put it in verse. I could avoid character development to avoid hurting other people. Yeah, yeah. I could... I could avoid the tell-all aspect of it and just say, this is one child and what one child experienced. And mm -hmm. I am willing to open my soul and say, this is what I felt. So I am asking you, if you are still alive and above ground in 2022, and you were an adult in the park, go speak to your children. Go talk to your children and ask them what they felt and what they experienced. Because it hasn't been done. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's it's not a short book. No. <laughs> it's not a short book. Well, and that's just the first 14 years of my life. <laughs> yeah, no, I picked up the book and I looked at it and it, it uh, I, I read it on a Kindle. Uh, uh -huh. And and uh, so I looked at how long it was going to take. I go, wow, this is a long book. <laughs> but I don't think it's a hard read. No, it's, it's not a hard read. It's, Although, I think it's, a, I, I would say it will expand some people's vocabularies. There are a few words that I had to look up uh, and my, my vocabulary is pretty good, but there's some medical terms in there that I did not have a clue uh, of what they meant. Well, I used the word verrugas in there, but I, I changed that in my final proof because, you know, you don't want to be pedantic. You don't want to, you don't want to use words people won't understand at all. No, um, and there are some words that people just, you know. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and I, they, there's they just, un unless you've really, really read a lot, and I read a lot, right? Uh, I, I try to read. I mean, last year I, I probably didn't quite read a book a week, but I'm, I'm close to a book a week. Yeah. Well, and I thought, in the interest of synonyms and poetry, try to find another word to describe oh, yeah. it rather than oh, just. Yeah. Well, that's or how you, Shakespeare. You find yourself using the same words over and over again. Yeah, that's how so, Shakespeare wrote. For me, it was about using a word that somebody may have to go look up to to describe that experience. But I hope, and maybe you can tell me, having read it, I hope to invoke the emotion. Oh yeah, no, the, the emotion is certainly there. I mean, I, I, uh, as I said, as I was reading along and you got to the point of Herb and Grace and it's just like, oh, you know, we got some color in here now. It was just so uh, dark and black and bleak and it seemed like there's no hope and now there's hope. And that's, it, 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 it was, yeah, it, 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 
and it, it's more gut emotion as you're mm -hmm. reacting to these things. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it, 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 you did a good job with that. Well, that's my desire is to, is to, and you know, I don't know if people, adults from the park will pick it up and read it. I hope they will. Um, you know, I hope people in the message will pick it up and read it because the park is sort of a mystery and it's always been a question. And I know adults in my family have been asked about it and it's always been pawned off. Well, I so, hope we will make people curious through this podcast so that people will go and uh, be curious enough to uh, read the book. And uh, hopefully some message preacher will preach against it, which will probably sell a bunch of copies. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Trying to figure out who that might be. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to ask you uh, a couple of last questions. What do you think of William Branham? I think William Branham was an opportunistic and very charismatic man who was actually probably a reader himself and an investigator. I think his persona became the little old country boy who was ignorant and only spoke what God showed him to speak. I cannot blame any man for creating a legacy for their family. In fact, what's, it's what I desire to do for mine. Um, and he has done that in millions, you yeah. could say. Yeah. But I, I think that that's who he was. He, he, you know, he found a way to tug the hearts of people and he promised them something that they couldn't have any other way. So he made them feel like, special. He became meteoric, you know, he, he found that way to become bigger than life. And unfortunately, when, when large numbers of people put their entire life in the hands of one man, they are making a mistake. And they allow themselves to do this by saying, well, he's special. He's the prophet of God. But he's just a man. And you're right. And he was very good at creating a persona. Because, you know, like uh, the seven seals, uh, he stole all of it all from of other it. people. Every last bit. And he would get up and say, oh, the Lord came to me Lord in the room me. today and I got this. I almost made a mistake. And I read everybody else and everybody else, nobody else is getting this. And I, the Lord just made me change my mind. And but then you go, oh, 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 hold it. You just copy. Now, and then when you tell everybody you got and nobody else has, you just copied it from Charles Taze Russell or you Char or Charles Larkin, Clarence, word for word. Clarence Larkin, right? And it's just like, it's just like, it's, it's not like when you put them side by side, it's obvious he copied it yes. word for word. Word for word. Yeah. And, you know, the big one for me was as the eagle stirreth her nest, because that yes. was a sermon that every kid ever raised in the message heard over and over and over again the eagle and in the chicken coop the eagle in the chicken yard and that yeah. is cl franklin's sermon from 1952 yeah. right up to and including the title yeah. as the eagle stirreth her nest yeah. which is not a word by the way stirreth yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know for me there is no reason in 2022 why people can't find the truth and once you find one lie 
by his own word, from his own mouth, he is a false prophet. That's what I have been told my entire life. So when I exercise that right, I do not expect to be reviled for it. Bottom line, stand me before Christ right now. And I would say exactly the same thing. No, and that's exactly the truth because as, as a philosopher once said, I'm not upset that you lied to me. I'm upset that I can never believe another word you say for the rest okay. of your life. <laughs> well, and and isn't, that, that, isn't that the case of any liar? And well, but, yeah, but that's the case with William Branham. Once you catch this thing and you say, okay, it was just one deal. As my son said once, um, you know, this is about putting things on the shelf. He said, we would put things on the shelf. Dad, Dad, I got so much on the stuff on the shelf, it's starting shelf. to fall off. <laughs> I hear him. I hear right? him. And that and spit out the pit, the cherry pit, you know, but, you know, you stop being baffled at some point and you say, yeah. no more. I am letting this go and I am living my life without this umbrella. Yeah. And well, it's, it's just, as I've told people, it's not so much the pits. It's you got to ask the question, what if what is in the pie is not cherry pits, it's sewage, and it's going to kill you, right? This is not good out. stuff, right? You can't, you, if you, if you eat some of it, it's going to kill you. Yes. So, Deb, you survived the park. Uh, you're a survivor. You had a career, a successful career as a nurse. What advice would you have for those who have survived physical, emotional, psychological abuse is there a key to being a survivor from your perspective? From my perspective, it's about losing your fear. And, and I'm sorry that, that, that this religion has created such a culture of fear. Let go of your fear and live bear yourself, stand before God and say, this is who I am. I did not, intend to do the things I've done as an adult or a child. I am a good person. I do care about other people. I do want to be a good person and lose your fear. Speak up, say what you believe. And I understand the fear because I've lived with it for so long. The idea that someone in my family might actually speak out against William Branham is beyond belief. And the fear associated to that is huge. But as I have said to a couple of family members that have chosen to dress me down about this is, why are you worried about me? Because according to your own belief and to the words of the prophet and the promise, you don't need to worry about me. I'm sealed. I'm sanctified. Everything's <laughs> fine. You're going to make it. So stop worrying about me. I'm going to be fine. And some of you could be too. Well, we just proved if William Branham was a prophet, we proved that saying he's a false prophet is not blaspheming the Holy Ghost because you're going to make it yeah. according to him. Well, and you know, um, I haven't been struck dead. And these are the things I learned to fear. Believe me, my father was a yeah. fear monger. And I think he believed, you know, when I married outside the church, I walked down to 
the aisle to marry my husband, absolutely believing that God might strike me dead before I got there. But what the person that I've always been is to say, this is what's, this is what's being said, but this is the reality. And the reality of what I see isn't matching what's being said from the pulpits. Preachers were excused for the things they do. I've, I've watched preachers all over the country completely bastardize what they preach over the pulpit, hammer into children, and keep preaching, even though according to everything that we've been taught, they shouldn't be any longer. Yeah. So this is what I'm saying. Reality versus what's being said. And reality is that everybody's got an underbelly and you can't hide it behind a pulpit. Yeah. So how soon before you're going to publish your second book? Well, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, the right, I'm writing right now. And, and I, I'm hoping based on the success of this one, that the next one will happen soon. Um, and I'm just waiting for the, ne- the first one to come out in print. And then I, I want to, I want to put a dent and a lot of old and long-held beliefs that are not relevant to anyone anymore. William Branham is not relevant on any level any longer. He had his day back in the 60s, and whatever people gained from that, they gained, but it's gone now. And in 2022, anybody on the planet can research and just find one lie. That's all you got to do. Find one lie and then free yourself. Yeah. Well, in fact, he really, his time wasn't in the 60s. I mean, it was in the it's actually the 30s, 40s. It was in, the, it was in the 50s uh, when he was in his heyday. Yeah, the end right. of the, the, so, so the lot part of the 40s, the early part of the 50s, because, I mean, I remember the first time I went, you know, when I went to Branham Tabernacle, you kind of go, this is it? Mm-hmm. Like, nobody, you know, the re- people say, you know, nobody would stand up to William Branham. They all left. There was only a few people around him. This is, you know, he had a couple of hundred people and he didn't have big crowds. He didn't have, you know, because of what he did in the, in the forties and fifties, he had a bit of a following, uh, you know, among the Pentecostal folks. So if they had a meeting, you could get some people out, but right. it was, it was basically over. His big meetings were over in 65, yeah. which might be why he actually agreed to come to the park and preach yeah, a sermon. Yeah. Because yeah. we were definitely small potatoes. Yeah. So, you know, and, and his death was an interesting thing because I watched the, you know, watching the aftermath of his death in the park and what happened there. It was just one of those things that you, the people were devastated. Yeah. They were yeah. devastated. Yeah. And it was like, well, what do you do now? Yeah. And when nothing, when he didn't rise from the dead, When he was buried in the ground, then it was suddenly necessary. Oh my goodness, here we are. We're in Arizona. We have this trailer park full of people. We've got growing kids. We've got to feed them. They've got to be educated. And and so they had to move on. Yeah. You know, life had to- 77 was coming. So they knew the end was near. (laughs) Until 1977. And then they could could get ready for that. So- And then, and then of course that didn't happen. So there again, a lie, a lie, it didn't happen. So that's one lie and there are several others. So just find one 
and then let go of your fear. We've got it all documented in our YouTube channel, uh, on the on the Believe the Sign website. Uh, we've got the pod, this podcast that that people can hear stories of other people who've gone through different struggles, but all have ended up coming out, whether they be ministers or people who are in the in the in the pews who have realized something is wrong with what I agree. I Deb, I know that your story, which is a story of someone overcoming a huge amount of adversity, is going to be a huge encouragement and uh, and a help to those who have been subject to abuse themselves, uh, both in the message and, and where abuse may have occurred in other circumstances. Thank you very much for, uh, for spending this time with us. I hope your book sells well, and uh, we'll do whatever we can to ensure that everybody knows about her as many people as possible thank you very much and uh, we'll look forward to having you back when your next book is published <laughs> thank you i appreciate the opportunity and i just i just want to spread the word i want people to feel something different as do we thank you so again thank you so thanks much. very much thank you you have an excellent day and we'll see you again That brings us to the end of our interview with Deb Thibodeau. If you have any questions, please go to the offtheshelf.life website. There is space for comments and questions at the bottom of each episode. I have asked Deb if she would answer any questions that our listeners might post and address to her. Or alternatively, you can send an email to me at rod at offtheshelf.life. Please let us know if there are any issues or questions that you think we should address or someone we should consider interviewing. Thank you very much for listening and remember that God loves you and is not afraid of your questions. Have a great week.